The reading this morning is uh, from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 7. And uh, we join um, partway through um, where Stephen is uh, giving a talk or, or, or a speech to the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin are the uh, rulers of the church, virtually rulers of uh, the country, although under um, Roman governorship. And um, Stephen's been arrested. So we start chapter 7, verse 48. And this is Stephen speaking. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just uh, pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the witness of Stephen and those early saints. We pray, Lord, that this morning, in our weakness, you would be our strength to listen and to learn from those saints. Amen. Morning. Uh, if anybody doesn't know me, my name's Malt, uh, pensioner of this parish. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I have a routine on a Sunday morning. I have a routine. And my routine is usually, if I'm up early enough, I will listen to um, a talk um, online at 8 o'clock 
same preacher. I think it's very good. Um, but then when I get downstairs, I will put the TV on and go on YouTube for some Christian music. That's my routine. It might be modern Christian music. It might be older Christian music. But it just sets the day for me on a Sunday morning. And after this reading this morning, and the title of um, our talk this morning, which as we're going on, um, is, is called The Reality of Persecution. The Reality of Persecution. And the first song that came on um, YouTube this morning, as I put it on, was just so bang on that I'll just share you one line for it, from it. And remember this. It might be an old one. You might be a young person, but remember this line. And it's simply this. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And for many people here and around the world, that is a word that's needed today. Because wherever you live, there seems to be turmoil. Now for Stephen, the reality of persecution was death. He spoke up for Jesus. He spoke the truth. And in the passage that we've read this morning, he's telling it as it is. He doesn't mince his words. He doesn't make any excuses. He tells it as it is. Now Stephen wasn't one of the disciples. He became a follower of Jesus when? We don't know. But he was part of the early church. And he was chosen to be a deacon, kind of one of the leaders of the church, if you like. But it wasn't because of his spirituality. It wasn't because he was a brilliant speaker or anything like that. It was because of his practical ability. And his practical abilities was organization and management. Organization and management. He was in charge of distributing food, clothing, etc. to those in need. Listen to this. He was the first food bank manager. You ever thought of that? You think about food banks, it started back here. Stephen was the first food bank manager. And as the early church came under pressure, he was appointed to oversee that distribution to the church. Both this and then his outspoken gospel message got him into trouble. And that trouble brought him under the eyes of the leaders, the leaders of the Sanhedrin. And when he was challenged about why he was doing what he was doing, as I say, he didn't hold back. There was no reserve in his talk. He told them as it was. He not only told them about Jesus, he told them about what they'd got wrong in the past and how they needed to come to Jesus. Stephen gets to the point that he's been driving at in this talk all the way. It's basically this. Just like your ancestors, you disobey God, you reject the truth, and you resist the Holy Spirit. You don't even have to imagine what type of response he got for this. Immediately we see what happens. The Jewish leaders stir up the listening crowd and attack Stephen, even though he's spoken directly from their own history. 
is spoken from the facts. And even then, they won't accept what he said. It may even be, you know, that the stoning of Stephen was illegal. Because although the Sanhedrin had the power to pass a sentence of death, before they could actually carry it out, they had to go to the Roman governor and get permission. He had to pass it off, as you like, if you like. We don't read anywhere that this happened in this instance. He was just dragged out of the town. But if you look back to Jesus, every step of the law was followed in that way. So this could have been and was murder. It was just murder. But as Stephen dies, there are two verses that stand out. Verse 59, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Which sounds a lot like when Jesus says, during his crucifixion, crying out to God in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then having said this, he breathed his last. Whether or not Stephen was thinking of this when he was dying, we'll never know. But the meaning of Stephen's statement is simple. Very simple. He's showing an absolute trust in God. An absolute trust in the Lord. Even though, by seemingly being abandoned by everyone, by being dragged out, out of the city gates, and being stoned and killed, he's expressing an absolute confidence that he has in the Lord. He trusts God, and so despite his death, he finds comfort in knowing that he's in God's hands. And then verse 60, he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. This is the sentence that might be completely shocking to you and me. Maybe even to some of the people who killed him. But Stephen literally is being murdered. And he chooses, he chooses to forgive those who are murdering him. Now the challenge we have today is, can we do we, would we follow in his footsteps? Or do I compromise? When faced with an awkward question about your faith, your walk with Jesus, do we perhaps step back? Or do we hide the message behind a wall of, but I do this and I do that but fail, perhaps, to speak out. The reality of persecution. When we think about persecution today, we think about countries far off, not too near. Countries like Burma, China, Eritrea, India, Iran, Nigeria, North Korea, Pakistan, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Vietnam, I could go on. Where followers in these countries know persecution, real hardship. All sorts of things are done to try and get them to give up their faith. Each of these countries and more have a reputation for all, doing all they can to destroy Christianity. Churches destroyed. Jobs lost, imprisonment, children taken from families, so many things 
to bring pressure to bear and make them give up their faith. Yet the truth is that the Christian faith is growing faster in many of these countries than anywhere else in the world. Isn't that quite surprising? That the countries where the pressure is most, the pressure is greatest, not to follow Jesus, these are the countries where the faith is growing more than ever. The truth is the Christian faith is growing faster in these oppressed countries. China, Nepal, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Oman, Yemen, just to name a few. They're the top of the list where the Christian faith is growing. And again, you could go on. These are the places where the gospel is growing and the gospel is preached more than ever. The question uh, maybe we need to ask ourselves is why? Why are the physically persecuted countries the ones which are the growing most? Maybe it's because they've got so little and are so oppressed that when they experience the love and the care of believers, they become inquisitive. Why do you help me? What is it about you that makes you different? Why are you different? And then they're introduced to this book, a very special book. The countries try to ban it, to close it, to burn it, to kill it, but it will not be defeated. Because in this book they find love, and they find hope, and they find salvation, and they find care, and they find everything that's missing from humanity today. It's in this book. It's all here. It's reality. For the first time, they read about that hope. They read about a new life, a life of goodness and a life of love. But along with this comes the words of life from a believer. A life not necessarily of ease. Where did Jesus say, follow me and you'll have a great life. It'll be dead easy. You know, pull up your armchair and uh, coast your way into heaven. He talked talk about families being broken up. He talked about beatings. He talked about oppression. Follow me, he said, take up your cross. Take up your cross. And what that means is that each one of us, though very different, there will be something, sometime, somewhere in our lives that won't be easy. And in that moment, we have to carry that burden but carry it with Jesus because he will lighten the load. He will help us carry that cross. Along with those words of life from the believers, a life not necessarily of ease, but one of fulfillment, a life that speaks and lives so differently to what they've known. And for this, they're prepared to lay down their lives, to lose members of their family, to even try and escape austere regimes to follow Christ. I remember the first time I was challenged about what I believed. I'd uh, been invited for a meal. I've never refused. 
and uh, I wasn't a Christian. Some friends um, had invited me for a meal one Wednesday evening. I'd not known them long. And um, when I got there, there was somebody else there who I didn't know. <clears throat> and by the time uh, we left after the meal, he said, oh, you want a, a lift home, Malk? Well, again, you're not going to say no, are you? And as we approached the Kelvin Flats where I lived at the time, he just simply said to me, so, Malk, what do you believe? I said, I believe in me. Everybody else can get stuffed. I believe in me. I'm going to look after number one. And I don't care what anybody else wants or how anybody else suffers. I'm looking after me. And he said just a few words which struck a note in my head, which to this day I've never forgotten. And he simply said, ah, oh, that's interesting. I believe in Jesus because he's permanent. He didn't know me. He didn't know that I had, my parents had died, I was living on my own and uh, living a, a pretty crap life. But those words stuck with me. And yet, I'd only just met him. When thinking about persecution, have you ever wondered about us here in comfortable Olerton? Is there something lacking in our witness? After all, we at St. John's have all sorts of outreach. We take so many things out into the community and among young people and among children. What we do is absolutely brilliant. And yes, we would love it to expand. But do we take the word? Among with everything that we do, we really do need to speak about Jesus. Once again, from my own experience, I was talking uh, many, many years ago now to a Christian leader from um, one of the East European countries. I don't know what event I'd gone to, but I was speaking to this guy, um, and he and his country suffered all types of persecution, similar to, to the ones I've mentioned. And he said to me, I would rather live where I am than where you are. <laughs> what do you mean? You know, you lose your families, you're persecuted, you can't meet. He said, yes, but we know what persecution is. We know what we have to face. We see Jesus working in that situation. But you here, it's all underhand. The persecution you have, you don't realize is persecution. When somebody asks you about, why do you go to church? Well, I meet my friends there. But should we say, because I love Jesus? That might sound soppy, but I know Jesus, and that's where my Jesus friends meet. Why not come along? He said so many things are under the carpet in this country. So many pressures and lies and Christians back off because they don't want to stand out. They don't want to be up front. They don't want to be 
seen as being an oddball. And I can see times in my own life when I've done exactly that, when there's been an opportunity perhaps to speak out. And yet right from the beginning of the human race, the devil, and it is the devil, who's having a go, let's not mince words. There is a heaven and there is a hell and there is a devil. Right from the beginning of the human race, the devil has sought to destroy God's work. In the Garden of Eden, he didn't persecute Eve with violence. He did it with lies. When believing those lies created fear in both Adam and Eve. And today he wants to make the message of Jesus irrelevant in our society. He seeks to distort and destroy the gospel message. He seeks to turn one Christian against another. And the subtle persecution creates subtle fear among believers. And so we step back. You say, what are these forms of persecution? We'll try these for a start. If you ever put persecution up in a kind of a dictionary, whatever you do, these are the words that come out that reflect persecution. Irritation, annoyance, take offence, teasing, provocation, harrying you, stressing you, but also the allure of doing something different, something they know that you will like, because the devil's not going to ever offer you something you don't like. So often we say this, the devil doesn't give you what you don't like. He allures you with the things that you enjoy. Not all of these things are wrong, but sometimes they pull away from what we should be doing. And they close down our, our witness. Friendship with Jesus is costly. Faith alone saves. But saving faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by great sacrifices. Sacrifices for Christ's sake. Let me finish with an extract from the diary of John Wesley. You remember John Wesley? Well, perhaps not personally, maybe I should. But John Wesley, tremendous preacher, etc. Um, Sunday, a.m., May the 5th. Preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back. Sunday, p.m., May the 5th. Preached at St. John's. The deacons said, get out and stay out. Sunday, May the 12th. Preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday, May 19th. Preached at St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called a special meeting and said, I couldn't return. May 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday, May 26th, preached in a meadow, chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. June the 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday, June the 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came to hear me. We have the words of life. The people want words of life. We live in, in a society that doesn't know where it's going, that's trying all so many things, but we have the truth. We have the love. We have Jesus Christ. We have the words 
of eternal life. Let's not deny them. Let's not hide them. Let's stand with them. Why be embarrassed? I'd be embarrassed if I wore a Sheffield United shirt. But I would not be embarrassed that somebody called me a member of the God Squad. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the witness of Stephen and all those down the centuries who have been persecuted and yet have stayed true to you. We pray, Lord, that in this little corner, in this time of our lives, we might be as true to you as they were. Amen.